0: Hey fellow tennis nerds, welcome to another episode of the Tennis Nerd Podcast. This time I talk to a guy you might be familiar with, at least some of you that watch my YouTube channel or read the stories on tennisnerd.net. His name is Evan Gadro. he's a coach and he has very interesting takes on certain types of training, whether it's box drills, meaning hitting to certain locations on the court, he analyzes players on his Instagram, it's called Maverick Tennis, he also has a tennis website called Maverick Tennis, we've done podcasts before on YouTube, but this one is an audience only, it's the first time we're doing this as the official Tennis Nerd podcast, I hope you like the conversation, it's a long one this one, but it flows a little bit of everywhere, If you want me to just stick to talking about tennis, let me know. I'll still keep talking about other stuff, but it's just good for me to get some data. But I think it's interesting to get also behind the person and how they relate to tennis and not only talk about drills, rackets, strings, players and so on. So um, bear with us. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Evan is always interesting to talk to. If you want to read more of his stuff, check out TennisNerd.net under the analysis section, where you can search for his name, Evan Gaudreau. He is also featured in a few YouTube videos on TennisNerd.net. You can search for those as well. Let's dive straight into the conversation, talking about Djokovic, but then getting all over the place. I hope you like it. Have a nice day, and don't forget to play some tennis.
1: Like now when I look at Djokovic, I'm looking at it like... He's not necessarily boxing. I think he's attacking movement. Like, if you watch a Tiafo match that he played um, at the Labour Cup, I, I couldn't help cracking up the whole time because he's just spinning them around in circles. He's like, he's attacking movement. He's not looking there saying, okay, I'm going to hit here. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. He's like waiting for him to make make uh, footwork adjustments. And, and then I, I asked myself, well, why is this happening? And I'm like, oh, okay, this is the USTA version of recovery. He's recovering to a spot. And that's why I, I rail about coaches, about how, When you're teaching kids footwork it should be open like i'm not sure if i sent it to you but i said for instance if you and i want to work on footwork we should be playing like a form of tag like drop dropping the ball at each other like on the baseline and you you can drop anywhere so it's like random so there's no footwork set that's going to happen does that make sense like some of these people i I just watch i mean I, i went down to charlotte a few weeks ago and my daughter played a tournament and it was just a regular tournament and I watch some of the players just shadow swinging in the parking lots. And then when they go out and play good players, they're like six, some of them are like five, six UTRs for their age group and they're shanking forehands. And I'm like, man, you're shanking forehands because you're using iCoach or you're you're shadow form. You're, you're in a shadow form that doesn't really, it's not reality. It's, but they don't get it. Cause some of the parents nowadays, my interpretation is a lot of parents aren't coming from a tennis background. They're like, they're coming from a background of money. And they're like, okay, we're going to, we're going to train we're going to watch youtube we're going to watch these videos and we're going to do these drills and and then they're like well this this is going to work and i'm like well it's not about like the old saying a carnegie hall like you know like practice 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 and blah 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 it's practicing effectively but what does that mean you know like there's i could say like hey you need to do some box training three box four box five box two box and next you know you go out and do it and you're like <laughs> you, they're like, well, it's not working. It's like, yeah, but look at the people you're playing against. Like, it's not gonna work because all you gotta do is hit over to the back inside side a million times, you know? So, that's the hard part. I think there's so much stuff online. I'm just like, I don't want to be part of the mess. I'm hoping I'm not part of the mess, but I kind of feel like I am.
0: I think everyone is a part of the mess. It's a, the, online, it's a mess, but I think it's also about structuring like thoughts and being like, okay, this is my message. And then trying to package it in a way that it's easy digestible for everyone, right? I think that is the, the key to anyone really entering the online, whether it's the education space, then you need your, you have your own tone of voice, but then also packaging in a way that it's, it reaches your desired target group. I mean, the target group for tennis nerd initially was not really like everyone, you know, it was more like the people are very nerdy about gear because that was a space I was in now that I'm playing more working more with all kinds of stuff in tennis i'm changing the audience a little bit broadening in it a bit uh, also i don't think it's super healthy to just collect rackets and and be you know into that because it's not going to help your game it's going to going to destroy your game in many ways like it's better to just have one racket and and keep going uh, but when you when you coach people and you do you do the box drills and what how do they yeah. how do they feel when you when you like give them these types of drills like what what kind of res, you know response do you get
1: uh, so it depends on the level. So for instance, like, like for instance, today I, I hit with one of the coaches. I just want to get an hour of in because I didn't have anything to do this morning. So we did, we did some box drills and he's, I mean, I don't even know if he's on UTR, but he just played like a ITF qualifier in like Chicago or something last week. But, um, but he's probably like a 12. We hit some cross court down the line, tight, tight boxes. Though so when I talk tight, I took two steps from the center hash and two steps, steps center hash the other way. And we hit cross courts and down lines. Now we're off a little bit. He's probably more in tune than I am because I don't train that tight anymore. But if I did that for a few weeks, my tightness comes back, and all of a sudden I can pick – I mean, I can drop the ball on a dime. Like, I, you tell me where to hit, I'll drop. But um, but if you're not doing those drills, it's not going to work. But, um, yeah, no, I do, I do the box training with some of the players, but here's the problem. I'm trying to figure out, like, okay, if you're under five UTR, meaning, like, I don't know like three, five and below, you just need to be consistent. You need to hit cross courts. You need to hit down lines. You need to get that base in there. If you don't have a the base, then all that plus one stuff is, is really garbage. But it's like transition from like three, five to five Oh is where it's interesting. Um, so will the box training help? Mm, yeah, it'll help your control, but if you have a technical flaw, your your SOL, you know, you're shit out of luck on that.
0: Yeah. I'm always I thinking about that because there's, there's like, um, you know, an interesting divide in tennis is like when you get up to, we're talking NTRP, I'm not as familiar with the UTR, but I mean, there are tables on Tennis Nerd and stuff for people listening. But um, so if you're going from NTRP, like let's say at three level, 3.5 up to four, consistency wins the day, right? I mean, you you just need to put the ball in and the guy will miss at some point. There's, there's, no one is going to overpower you unless he has the best day ever and he just goes for winners. Like you, we talk about winner ball, we'll talk about that. Uh, more in the, later on, but when you move up the ladder and you get up to like the 5.0 NTRP, the higher level 5.5, suddenly you have a lot of strategy added. Like th- that changes the game complexity, you know. Uh, so there's yeah. a, there's a, like a ridge there that it's like before you get to that level where you feel like you confidently can hit this like consistent rallies and just have a, a pretty good level of of consistency, then you shouldn't really worry about too much of the strategy. It's more like get the ball in. And then when you're getting to a level of maybe four, five, five, oh, and upwards, then you need to focus on like, how, what is your playing style? And I, it's one of the things I thought was interesting. And I, I added it in my YouTube video was this, like, if you, um, if your personality fits your style of play, right? If, if those are in sync. Uh, and I think that is pretty interesting. In some cases, I, I I asked people to comment on YouTube and some of them said, you know, I'm very much in sync. And some of them were like, I'm a pretty timid person, but I play very aggressive tennis and the opposite.
1: Those will cause mental blocks. Like, for instance, I'll tell you about myself. Like when I I trained at academy, I did all this, like whatever, played the junior tennis circuit, played the college circuit. It wasn't until when I got to college. it's, It's not like accepting who you are. It's like you find who you are and then you start bringing that to the game. Like all the coaches, I was an aggressive baseline, but I'm athletically talented, so I can do a lot of things with the ball. But I never knew what to do because I knew it had too many options. So I never had a coach who would settle me down, but they'd always be like, no, you need to be more consistent. Stop going for winners or play cross courts more, get the ball deeper. Dude. I'm like, that's bonehead stuff. Like, I get it. That's good stuff for like three, five, four, oh, four, five. But I was beyond that. I needed to learn what do I need to do? What is the strategy? Why do I need to do this? And I, I want to know, I wanted answers. And so what happened was when I was in college, I, I just said, you know what? I'm going to do my way. And so I look at who I am off the court, a uh, bit of a prankster, a bit of a manipulator based on life experiences and whatnot. And all of a sudden I bring that to the game. My, my level jumped just on that alone, just on starting to play a more, more manipulative game, you know, mixing the slice in for half a set and then mixing in topspin and reversing a more topspin, less slice drop shots, depth, 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 bring the guy in lot like you just yoke him around the court. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm beating guys I was losing to. And I was like, oh, my God, like, why couldn't the coaches tell me this? Why couldn't the coaches say that your personality has to come out in your game? So, like, when someone – when you say that one where someone's timid but then plays aggressive, you can't – like, i love to meet that person and, and see them play a couple of matches, and I'll tell you exactly what, like, what their mental block is and, like, why it, they'll never get past a certain level. Like, generally speaking, like, I'll look at a player, and I'll tell you their ceiling, and I'm usually spot on. Like, you get a 12-year-old, 14-year-old, 15-year-old, I'll tell you, where their utr what their level will be in the next three years and i'm not going to be off that much it's you can just tell the person's personality you can't hide who you are in matches and i'm the guy who just kind of picks that apart so that's why i I don't know what ended up happening with me but one of the goals i have i'd love to be writing on tour i'd love to be traveling i'd love to be writing about i just sit on the practice course for like five hours and tell you exactly what they're doing this guy's training this guy's uh this guy's not training because he's doing well this year so he's just playing what, what you know you said like winter ball he's just doing a lot of winter ball in practice because he's just maintaining what he has other guys are doing this i think that's where tennis lacks like some of those the voices out there that at the tennis channel i don't know they just sit in new york city and they're just sitting there and they're just viewing matches and they're not they don't have any boots on the ground or around the tournament scene but that would be fun if they could find people who understood the game and uh, could write about it and make sense of it because I don't know if you you see some of my goofy posts. Like I I can't help it. Like I picked on the doll the other day for man he's a that butt picking drives me bonkers. But it, like anyone I talk to at the club, anyone I come in contact with, everyone knows he's a butt picker. And I'm like that guy's a grown adult and he's picking his butt. I'm like come on, like you know picture someone coming over your house and like picking their butt. I'm like get out of here, get out of here. You do that again, get out. You know don't touch anything. Go wash your hands. <laughs> like I don't know like. I don't know how, how other people feel about it, but I feel like I lose a couple followers because of some of my comments. Because I'm like, look, I'm like, he leaves it out there. You're going to pick your butt. Like, come on. It's like someone picking their nose in front of you. Like, I just don't get it. So, you know, it's like, it's just. Yeah, it's it's an
0: interesting uh, part that because he's such a tennis hero and such a legend in the game. But yeah, he had these um, OCD ticks and. I mean, it's all about like him getting mentally ready f- to play the point. I, g- I guess he doesn't want to do his underpants stuck in his ass, you know, which is, I guess, the, the <laughs> first thing how it started. Uh, but obviously, this has now become like a, a whole, uh, you know, routine that he has to go through every time just to play a point. And if he doesn't do it, maybe he will feel like if he loses the point, it's, it's due to that, you know, he didn't. That's some people's OCD going, you it know, off the rails. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's superstition, OCD combined, like in a in a bad cocktail but it's i mean it's people just laugh at it now but i think it's it's a thing that he he has i don't know how it, it shows in his regular life but it, it's there for sure for sure and I, my friend uh, dennis who i do this podcast with we do a weekly one where we discuss what's happening on the tour and and uh, yeah he's a big rafa fan but that yeah that still irks him like that's still like something he, he gets annoyed by that this also takes so long before every point starts you know and all that stuff so yeah this, uh, it, it's it's a little bit of an annoyance for sure for many
1: that's why it'd be funny if I was able to travel on tour and watch. I would just sit there and watch. When he you see him play with his bottles, he's always playing with the bottles. You got to be yeah, perfect. This, yeah. I'm like, man. I go. I would be there if I was a pro on tour. I'd, I'd move his. I think one guy did, but I'd move his bottle a little bit. I'd be like, hey, I'd let him see me, and I just move this, move that, and he'd probably get annoyed. But you know, it is what it is. Like I, some of the guys are too stuffy. Like they're too stiff uh, with what how they behave. But it would would be funny. Um,
0: yeah, but I think there was the Swedish. I think. Robin Sutling, then he well, had a, a very kind of strained relationship. Like, I mean, he beat him at the French Open famously when thousand nine, but I don't, it wasn't it was before that. I think he he actually moved or or hit his water bottle. You know, it was on purpose, but you know, an accident. Uh, so yeah, I think someone should try that. Uh, when it comes to players, like w- looking at you're a prankster, you you like to move the ball around. Screw up people's heads a bit. Uh, what what players do you think have that kind of style mentality, and, and what are the players that you like to watch when you're watching tennis?
1: Yeah, Fognini pops up right away. I mean, Curios, uh, Pierre, uh, you know, Monfils for like his athleticism. He's probably the best athletic athletic guy on the tour. Um, with all those amazing shots. But yeah, Fognini. So guys like Fognini, I, I get very frustrated watching them because I mean, like that guy could be amazing, but that's the point i'm trying to make is there's something in his childhood that makes him like that so then i go do some do a little slight digging online and i say oh he's got a sister well is he the youngest is he the one who is the younger or the, or the older then i start putting a couple of things together and i'm like hmm um what made him a manipulator like that what made him not care about winning as much Because i mean i'm gonna say he likes he, i'm sure he likes to win but i mean i had a, so what i feel is i have a similar problem like meaning I didn't care about winning as much as like I love manipulating people. Like it was, and then all of a sudden you, it's like, uh, you, you get to a point in a set where you, you, you kind of like shut down, you start focusing on a couple manipulation situations. Cause the guy's bugging you next to you know you're winning. And then you're like, Oh, I'm winning. What do I do now? And I'm like, well, what were you doing? And it's like, well, I don't know. I was just having fun. I was just manipulating the guy doing this, but I don't really know what I was doing. So it's too bad. Like a guy like Fagnini, I
0: mean, I see him maybe a little bit differently. I see him as, uh, I met him, uh, you know, once or twice. He's never, not their, like, most friendly guy. Uh, And he is a guy that's, like, seems to have some anger issues. A little bit, like, like curious in a way. Like, it's huge talent, but then there's, uh, can manipulate the ball. When he's on fire, he's really on fire. He beats anyone, right? Anyone, really, if if he plays well. But he has this huge mental issue where he's, like, you know, if, if things go against him, he acts like a baby, like it is the baby mentality, like Kyrgios, Fognini, Benoit Paire, they're all talents, but they have this baby mentality. They're like, okay, things are not going, I'm going to throw all my toys out of the pram and, uh, and lay down and I'm not going to play tennis anymore. So they tank or, you know, now I think Kyrgios is actually the player who's worked on it the most. But the other guys, I, I never seen them have a, like a friendly handshake. I'm not saying sports has to be friendly, you know, but it, it's like always they're always pissed, probably at themselves and at their opponent for beating them because they beat themselves. That's my feeling, right? Yeah,
1: for sure. And uh, even like, what was it? The last tournament, when bonini was in. Was uh, what he was doing that thing with? Uh, Who's that footballer? Um, someone must have been heckling him. And then he was after he beat the the kid, he started making some face gestures at him and I just yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah. he was (laughs) yeah he was doing some gestures there classic I
1: said that he that's where he reminds me of me I was a little bit like that I can get triggered and sidetracked and I made a joke when I wrote that piece on on him about how you'd be playing lights out up 4-0 smell a hot dog from the stands and be like start thinking about that hot dog and next thing you know he's down 5-4 and it's like just because of a hot dog smell or like someone kicking stuff around something just triggers some annoyance yeah i mean that's where i say it's like a, like a ptsd thing i think so for instance like when i think about the patterns i look at and again i don't i always thought everyone thought like this but i was doing some writing the other day and i, I kind of put two and two together i kind of laughed at it i was like you got to be kidding me so i do all this writing all year to get to this point and i said well why do i focus on these patterns what is these patterns going to do with everything in this manipulation and then i thought about like uh growing up and whatnot and i just laughed at how when I walked around my house it was like walking on eggshells. Like you don't know what you're gonna get. You don't know if you're gonna get, you know, bapped with a stick. Parent trips over something, blames you for it, and boom, you get nailed or you're gonna get yelled at, or whatever. So me and my sisters, we just scatter. When my parents home, you're just like we're out of here. But when you're little, you don't know anything.
0: They were both like uh, like violent or like angry, your father and your mother, or just like the father, usually the case of that situation. Yeah,
1: both, both, but yeah, you know, I think my like for instance my, i think my mom got physical one time i picked her up and i and she never bothered me again then she let every she let my father do all the bidding after that so i grew up in a in a way i grew up hating my father like i hated yeah. him because he i took all the beats from him but at the same time what it taught in a weird way what it taught me is i was always on constant vigilance i was always like alert to like something's going to happen what's going to happen pay attention know where you are, know where your parents are, know what's going on. Any situation, I was always trying to be a step ahead. So then all of a sudden, like the other day, I started thinking about I'm like, oh, these patterns make sense now. But I'm like, well, who else has grown up like this? And I'm like, well, I would want to talk to Fabio. I'd want to talk to a couple of those players and be like, hey, uh, you might talk about your childhood? They're going to be like, absolutely not. (laughs) You know, it's like they're not going to be like, who wants to talk about their childhood? You know, my childhood sucked. I'm like. Yeah, well, don't all of our suck, yeah. You know. Yeah, I think ma-
0: many people's childhoods suck. And I think it's pretty healthy to talk about it because it's also, I mean, it's a very famous thing in, in like, if you go to therapy, whatever, that it's like, it starts at your childhood for a good reason, because we are so influential in how our brains develop from like two to four, especially. And then like, it. I mean, I'm not an expert, but that's what I read. And then it gets obviously segment like cemented in your behavior. And I think then it shows on, like you talk about personality on the tennis court, shows on the tennis court, shows in your average daily life. And unless you put in a lot of effort to change it, it's not going to be that easy to change. It's, it's like just being under the stress of someone like verbally assaulting you or physically assaulting you, especially when you're a kid, you always have to be tense and you always have to find like, you know, the. it's almost like being out in the wild, like you're out in the savannah, and there's lions and tigers around, and you have to yeah. be on your toes because otherwise you're gonna get pounced on, right? Uh, so I, I, I'm, you know, I, I understand that, and that, that creates a certain, I mean, me against everyone, I guess, mentality as well. Like you know, you, it's me against the world. I have to stand up for myself. Nobody else does it, and that also kind of then moves into the tennis game. Like maybe you become this like defiant person who yeah. just, okay, I, how do I beat this guy? Let me trick him. Let me figure it out this way. You know,
1: yeah. And even going on that, it's like I was just talking about this the other day um, about how I think my mother came to a couple matches of mine when I was a kid. For whatever reason, when she came, I would act out. You know, I wouldn't. I'm not. A, I wasn't really a big racket thrower. But I say one time I was. I smashed a racket. She didn't. This funny thing. She didn't say anything. But like, funny story. I'll tell you. This one kid. You know, back in the juniors, I'm playing this. I'm playing this kid. The mother keeps trying to coach him during are no changeovers i told i asked the lady nicely i said listen no coaching just could do you mind like you know not saying anything oh sure 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 she's back coaching again and i don't i was like a big if i tell you once i'm not gonna tell you twice so i just told the lady i go lady i go shut the fuck up i was like shut your fucking mouth and then he got pissed the kid got pissed through his racket at me and i just laughed i just watched it bounce right by me so anyway i beat the kid and I play him again. I played the guy three three times that summer. I play him again, and I was like, I'm double bagel this guy. The first match was like, I don't know, it was three and four, or something like that, two and four. I don't know. My dad was watching too, and he had like, after I got off the court, he's like, what was going on on the court? I go, oh, nothing. He's like, oh, okay. And he just like just walked away. He didn't like ask me too much about it. Um, but I play him again, and I'm up 604. I'll never forget because I tell a story every now and then. 6 I lost the game. I was getting tight because I wanted to double bagel to teach him a lesson. And I lost the game at 4-1. I just immediately didn't even like just trigger. I just turned and just like tomahawk my racket against the fence. Well, of course, once it hit, it hits the post smash. Like I just smashed the thing. I never broke a racket. I was like my only one racket I broke. And I finished the guy off 6-1. I get off the court. My mom's like, hey, you might need a racket. And I'm like, yeah, maybe. She didn't, I was surprised she didn't like yell at me and whatnot. But I don't know. I, like those are the moments I, I look back and it's like, all the crap that goes on and she was like fine with me smashing a racket it didn't make any sense because i always like bark at my kids for that like don't don't throw your racket unless you pay for it do what you want with it but i paid for it you're gonna respect it
0: (laughs) yeah i think that's a good um good plan right i mean i think good strategy i think that's really what people look up to i mean we talked about rafa's butt picking but it's he also deserves a lot of respect for the for the way he conducts himself like just not throwing the racket, like, I mean, I mean, we know uh, Marat Safin, for example, he used to get a lot of, like, ah, oh, look at this. this is a, Because he's, I mean, he's a good-looking, like, uh, tough guy. So people give him a lot of uh, props probably for, for behavior that's not so great. Like, he's destroyed 1,400 rackets or whatever the number is in yeah. his career. And it's not, you know, people make these rackets. It's just a waste. It doesn't look great. He's not a good role model. I love watching his tennis, so obviously I'm a Safin fan but then you have these guys like furious and stuff and they just take their anger out on the racket which is better than than hitting it some a person of course but sure. I, I, the point i wanted to get to is that do you think like using your anger in tennis whatever it comes from like if you you know bring it from childhood situations from some guy who just you know <laughs> did something on on the highway earlier you like, like you're always more angry when you're in the car right uh, do you yeah. think you can use your anger in your tennis or do you think that it's a dangerous uh, path?
1: Uh, both. I Both, for sure. So if I, I always think about, like, if I was on tour and I'm getting 50 rackets a year, I probably would have done the same. I would have probably smashed 45 of them. And then, like, because if they're free, they're free. I'm just going to smash the thing if I get angry. But here's the thing that's weird. The few times I've smashed a racket, I completely felt free. Like, I was like, I was bottling up, bottling up. I smash it and I just totally relaxed but here's the trick. Well, where does that come from? Right. So it comes from if I like, like in a nutshell, I'll say, well, a lot of times I get, you know, there's a couple of weird things I would do when I was a kid. Like I get hit, I go, you know, I get the stick, I get wrapped or something. I get, you know, booted. I go in a backyard and I hit rocks with a wiffle ball bat. Right. So I start hitting rocks, but then I started, you know, it's hard to explain, but I started really getting obsessed with like this, whole planning thing during the school year school day so i'd be planning okay i'm going to go home dad's not going to be home till 4:30 i got an hour i want to see how many trees i can chop down in the woods before he gets back so i you start doing things that are probably negative you know there's nothing chopping trees not negative but it's aggression right so you, you get all this aggression out whether it's chopping trees or whether it's hitting rocks or whether it's doing this and then next thing you know when you play tennis you're like how are you going to release that aggression well there's a couple ways you can yell or you can you can uh, <clears throat> you can smash a racket, <laughs> or if you smash a racket and you gotta pay for it, it's like, well, that's stupid. Now you got no racket to play with. You will play with some crappy racket in your bag or something, some older racket. But
0: yeah, if you don't get them for free, it becomes a whole different thing. I think that's like it's it's a bit of a spoiled behavior to uh, even. I mean, you they get them from their sponsor, or whatever. Uh, and I think some companies, at least in the past, they used to find them right. You 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 know, you get fined after a certain like. I think Yonex finds their players if they break the rackets. Uh, I don't sure if that's the same anymore. But obviously, if you have to buy and you're a kid, like your parents have to buy you three, four rackets for your competing season or year, and then you break two, you know, you yeah. you're running out of rackets. Like and your parents have to go buy more rackets. It becomes like you're creating a monster kid. <laughs> you know, it's like that's the he thinks he can get away with this. You know, stuff. It's not the not the best parenting, I, I would guess.
1: No. And then the pressures come from like the whole like USTA chasing points, like all the the system that they make is kind of cracking me up because I'm obviously I'm in it with my daughter. And I'm even second guessing right now, just pulling her out of tournaments and just playing against four fives until she can beat the four fives and and some of the five O's. Then what's the point where the tournaments aren't going to get you anywhere? So why even bother? So. They're not fun. I'll tell you that. Like it's, not, it's it sucks when you got to go there and you chit chat with the parents and this and that. It's like look, I just go in my car, I just read books. I'm like, I'm i like, gonna read. It. I'm gonna do something else. I go, I watch my daughter hit, play a couple points. I kind of know what she needs to work on. I see her every day. She needs to learn how to. That's like where I give her her freedom. I'm like, look, this is your your game. Like, well, I'm not gonna sit here and comment after matches anymore. It's, it's you got to take control of it. So it's it's up on you now. So I back away. Uh, but I was hands on before, and I've blown up a few times for sure. I how old? No- how
0: old is she? She's the only tennis. You have how many? Four daughters.
1: Four. Yeah. Uh, wow. She's fourteen, so she's a freshman. So, um, but at the same time, I'm like, well, what kind of negative mental blocks am I giving her? Or like, like I always thought it was good. Mm-hmm. I still believe it's good. It's just you got to be. It's it's so fine line, delicate that you have to watch yourself. Like I call it searing. Like when you sear a message, you have to like you have to have a blowout every now and then, because then they know it's serious. But if you just always like, hey, how'd you do? Good. Uh, I lost. I'm like, oh, there's no problem, because you know winning's not everything. And it's like, yeah, like it isn't. But getting better is important. Like not you know not competing is 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 a problem. Like if you're out there and you're not competing, you're like we were just talking about like pouting. You get that pouty behavior. It's like you got to wake them up. Like, I'm not driving two hours to watch a kid just pout on the court. Like, my kid's not that bad, though. She doesn't, she doesn't pout that much. I just question her, her competitiveness sometimes. And then, but when I see her, I see myself, too. Like, sometimes I just... You just never know. I just wake up and I'm not competitive today. I just want to go have fun. I want to play a match, but I, whether I win or lose is not important. I just want to enjoy the time out here. Uh, but now you're forced to. You got to forget all that fun. You got to win. And it's like, well, I don't have to. So I had issues with that in college. My coach was like telling me how much I had to win. My coaches, at juniors, always telling you, "You got to win. You got to win." I was like, "No, I don't. You have to win. You have, like like get your ego out of out of your, you know, out of the way."
0: But that was uh, team uh, team tennis, I guess. No.
1: Yeah, I mean, different. like
0: team tennis in a way that, like, okay, if you're playing, let's say you're playing for a team. I think some tennis players they seem to thrive when they play either doubles or they play like Davis Cup or a team situation, like a college tennis. But some players like prefer just being responsible for themselves, you know, and and like the the balance of the of having fun. And competing well is the most difficult to strike. I think, in, in especially in tennis, because it's such a mental game. Like it can really rile you up and ruin your day, and it can make it the best day uh, you've had in a while as well. So it's like that. That's like a fine line you're always treading. Like, okay, you know, I'm playing well. I, I personally, I always feel like if I'm playing well, I can take the loss. If I'm playing badly, it's gonna affect me. Like I'm not. I'm gonna be, you know, okay. If I play badly and win, it's not that bad. But if I play badly. And, and lose, I, I feel pretty shit. If I play be- well and he beats me, then I can live with that. Like that's my my take. Because if I'm playing well, at least I'm having some fun. This, the problem is playing badly. That that's not so much fun. But if, to to avoid that, you have to actually put in some effort. Like that's that's the problem when you say you talk about powerly kids. And I see that all the time. If you play like you know, you go to ITFs, you go to uh, junior tournaments. I sometimes hit with juniors in Spain, for example, and uh, there are good juniors. But obviously, the, their um, circuitry is shorter. Like, they haven't had time to mature or develop. And most of them get angry quite quickly. I played matches against 14-year-olds, 16-year-olds, 18-year-olds. And after a certain streak of bad play from them, you see the racket hit the fence. Like, it's almost on... It's like pressing a button, you know? It's like, now they blow up, and then the game goes to to shit after that.
1: Yeah, and that's like... Uh... That's like the moment a good coach, which I don't know how many there are out there. I don't know what a good coach is. I don't know how to define it, but who can recognize that? I'd say more of a mentor. A mentor can recognize that and stop the match. If it's a practice match and be like, look, this is the moment you're gonna, I've been noticing you're cracking. And then all of a sudden you start delving into it, write about it, write about your childhood, write about whatever. Then you start coming to grips with it. And then you get over that mental block. If you don't do that, like this is why, this is why the online thing drives me crazy. Cause people are like, even on the podcast are like, Oh, this sounds good, but I want to see it. It's like, like, do you really like need me to hold your hand? Like, this is simple stuff. This is combo drills. Like do it, go do it. Like if you can't figure it out, then you're not the right person I want to be talking to to show you the way because uh, you know, it, it, it's just frustrating because it, you know how long it takes to do a video. Videos aren't easy. One, two, like, I guess any, you know, Tom, Dick, or Harry can just sit there and be like, oh, let me just write these pictures down and be like, okay, do this when you go. And it's like, like, come on, like, you can hear my voice. I, You want to, like, some people in the in the podcast have comments. I'm like, come, look me up. You got money? You 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 bored? Come up to Massachusetts. We'll hit. We'll hit for a week. And then we'll, I'll show you the combo training. Like, and I won't disappoint either. If you think I'm disappointed, I'll, I'll pay you. <laughs> like, I just, it just cracks me up that people don't, don't understand I
0: think it's generally this this online thing. Like you have to uh, I mean, I've been doing this for quite a while. I, I did it for other companies before, like more you know social media branding marketing stuff. but uh, the thing is that you have to grow really thick skin because there's some pretty thick people in general out there, uh, and you can come across everyone, and everybody one's voices get amplified. Like so if you have uh, a YouTube channel or an instagram account and and people don't vibe with your energy or your comments or your stuff, in real life, they just walk away, you know. But some sometimes online, they feel like it's they want to almost find someone to be angry at. I, I watch other, you know, tennis YouTubers sometimes, and some people just want to write something nasty in the comments, like, oh, you know, Abba, that sir was not was weak, you know, or this was bad, or like it's just getting. I don't know, getting something negative out of the system instead of just dealing with it themselves or just ignoring it. Like they, you can just not watch the video. It's a pretty easy solution to your life, you know? But they seem to want to bathe in this uh, negativity, which gives them some some kick, you know, which is the problem with social media in general, is, people are seeking this uh, quick endorphin quick rush. Fix. When Yeah,
1: that's yeah. so, yeah, why I laugh at that. Like, so that's why I don't know how to use social media. It is what it is. Like I was thinking about using YouTube for some box training, some videos, uh, Instagram for goofing off a little bit. And then what was I going to do? So the one thing I do want to get into is live matches. Like I want to start, but I don't know how to do it. Like, I don't know if I need a camera behind me. I don't know what, how to, what's that even going to cost, blah, blah, blah. But I want to get a live pro match. I could be from last year. It could be from the summertime and just start commenting on it and just stopping. But every time someone will alert me to like, oh, well, there's this guy that does that, but it's really just commenting he's like i think you would do good with it because you'd actually analyze what's going on stop the video this is what's going on these are the drills they do um i think that could have something for me but at the same time i don't know who knows like like i said i'm like a i'm like a broken puzzle right now just trying to figure out my next stage <laughs> what, yeah i think that. the
0: the live commentary stuff is pretty interesting because i see that more and more and, and i i have an issue in general with tennis commentary like if you watch a lot of tennis or you have watched a lot of tennis over the years a lot of tennis commenters i mean they just say what's happening like they don't never they don't analyze like that that's you know really riles me up as well it's just like yeah and she went to the to the net and for a winner i'm like yeah we we saw that like what what happened in the point you know what what do you have any reflection then it's better that they're just quiet until they have something to say. So let's say, you know, you have three points. They're quiet for three points. And they say, okay, in this game, it's clear that she's struggling with blah, 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 or he's struggling with this. Because if you don't add anything, what's the point? I mean, if if you're commenting on radio and the radio commenters are usually the best ones, that's what I realized or what I felt, you know, watching sports over the years and following sports, the radio people, they know how to paint the picture with words. Yeah. but also mix in some analysis and they are seem more gifted at doing this while a lot of like broadcast uh, journalists who who follow tennis for example they just say hey you know he hit an ace oh yeah that's an ace it's a good ace <laughs> you know what's maybe giving me something like what why is he why is he hitting an ace what's so good about his serve how can wh- how can, how does that affect the the kind of nature of this game, this particular game now at 5-4, for example. So it's, that stuff would be interesting, for example. And what I want to get to was that I've seen other people do that, and you can give it a try. Like, you have a YouTube channel, uh, or, you know, I guess that's the easiest way, and then you you can't obviously just steal someone's stream. You have to just add your commentary, but that's just you talking into a camera, like streaming it on Twitch or or YouTube, for example, while they watch the match on tv or on tennis tv or something like that that that's that's actually something that seems to add value to people so you can yeah, actually mute the sound from the um, from the regular broadcast you just mute your tv or mute your other stream and you have another audio source from someone who you actually like listening to it that's actually probably going to be the case in the future that you can actually pick y- your commentary oh. you know or your commentary
1: so you, you can't uh you can't stream an old match and just you
0: just comment on it? I think like the problem with, with rights, and that's something I've, I've really tried to avoid, you know, is that if you use anything like old footage from ATP, they're going to come in with like a copyright strike in five seconds. I mean, some people seem to get away with it. Uh, anytime I tried using some like tennis TV footage, just like five, 10 seconds to illustrate a point, like, hey, this guy has a huge forehand or I get a copyright marking on my, my video, so I need to remove it. Uh, they're quite quick with that stuff. And they actually asked me for content that I shot, uh, yeah. Tennis TV did, but I cannot take a second from their, their contents. It's a little bit sad. It's much easier when you can visualize your point. So I guess like one way is to reach out to other channels, maybe that have content and say, "Hey, can I use your content for this purpose? So let's say you want to analyze Djokovic's um, serve. You find his serve with some good footage. And then you say, Hey, hey, man, can, can I use this? I will tag your channel, a link to your channel. Uh, and and that's, that's a way to do it. But if you don't ask for permission, there's a risk that you're going to get copyright strikes.
1: I mean, even as a joke, like I saw like is clothes and I was like, what the hell is that? I go, that's like Splatoon 3 from Nintendo. I go, what the hell? So I, I put that on there. That's what I got hit on. I got some copyright thing. I was like, what? I go, it was a joke. Like I don't understand what Nintendo. No, cares. no, but it's just
0: because you took the. It's not the the problem of the the content. It's the problem that you, you probably took some footage, right? So that's that's it. Yeah, that's the thing. I think images they don't care as much, but as soon as it's video, I think it seems to really be quickly uh, notified. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's so the Adidas uh, switching topics completely. But the Adidas apparel of late uh, something I've commented on in a previous podcast. But it's like been pretty horrendous for the for twenty twenty two. I don't know.
1: When I went down to Charlotte and I stayed with a buddy that I went to college with and uh, he's like, you remember during the Australian Open, those poop pants that Adidas put out? I go, no. And he he goes online and he looks and there's this brown stain on the back. It looks yeah, like yeah. brown And I'm like, why would somebody do that? Unless somebody was like, oh, look, I'm not going to be working here anymore. I'm going to put this brown stain here. We'll see if it gets <laughs> cold. <Exactly. scroll-hulled." laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, this will be good. But that's like no, something yeah. i probably do. <laughs> like if I was working at Adidas. It's actually I'd my
0: most go. popular Instagram um real because I did like a 14 second video where I was just like calling them shorts or whatever, you know, like <laughs> instead of shorts. And I was like, this, this it's insane. Like how how can you get away? I mean, if it's your last day, it's a huge like it, it's really funny. I you know, I I find it really funny. But then it, it, I have worked in these types of companies and there's such a big approval process. So this must have gone through you know quite a few number of people before it gets To the production line and and they actually put these uh you know diarrhea shorts on players you know and insane i got like four hundred thousand views in like two days or something it was crazy Uh, because everybody agreed
1: i joke around like put those on the doll and there's a little scratch and sniff going (laughs) (laughs) and then then people like here you wanted my autograph here scratches stretches brown spot (laughs) yeah
0: exactly you you can do it as a as a special collection <laughs> the brown, the brown collection. No, it's uh, yeah, it, it's it's crazy. I don't know. Hopefully next year they they will. I mean, I don't care about Adidas, but uh, it, it's a strange decision. Sometimes you can go for the. This is so ugly that people will like it. You know, that's a lot of fashion. Like okay, this is so weird, doesn't look right, but it stands out, so people will talk about it. They will post about it, and we will sell. But if you make something that is just ugly, like that, or it's even like offensive in a way who will buy these shorts? I don't know. I I, I have never seen it, them anywhere, but on certain players that got them in the mail, right?
1: One one story I think about when I was a kid, I don't know, I was like 17. I think I was in high school. I was looking for a job. My buddy's like, oh, there's a shoe company that so-and-so, I know the manager, you get a job there. So I swear for like three or four weeks, I worked there. They needed someone to clean up the back room. So i clean up, organize the back room, put all the sevens with the sevens, the sixes with the sixes, blah, blah, blah. And, and I'll never forget, there was this one sneaker. I'm sitting there putting all this crap away and this, this sneaker is called like street machine. I feel like I was at Walmart or something like Velcro sneakers. I look at this and I'm just like, I just stop and I look at, it and I'm like, who the hell made this sneaker? And I open the box and I look at it, I go, this thing is a piece of shit. And I go, who the freaking would buy this? But you get kids buying $10 sneakers and I'm sitting there crying, laughing in the back. I think I'd like, I must've laughed for like 20 minutes. I'm like, I don't even i don't even know who would buy that crap like i'm like this thing is a piece of crap it must have been like a rock too like you put it on it's like no give no no anything to it and i'm like god and then i feel bad for the people who like if i was sitting at the cash register and someone buys the site i couldn't even like sell it with a straight face (laughs) so i'd be like come on buddy you gotta get some nikes or something get some adidas get some nikes can't be wearing these street machines but um
0: fashion changes and it's funny like with the brands that come in and go i actually commented on, on Ben Ben Shelton I'm sure you've seen I mean he seems to be yeah, like yeah. vacuuming challenger titles from from the from the floor and uh, his shoes uh, the New Balance ones uh, 4.5 something looks yeah like something Ronald McDonald would wear I mean it was they they're pretty bad like I mean they they look worse from afar which i think is is the worst in a tennis like if they look bad up close it's you know can survive but they look actually worse from <laughs> afar. you know so
1: well, some uh, of us laugh i'm like can you just please give me a black sneaker like all i want nike give me a black one give me give me a black and white sneaker and I'll, I'll like like it you give me these weird ones like friends i just I wore the barricades over the summer, the white ones. I'm like, and I'm like, I'm not paying 150 bucks for a pair of sneakers. I don't care. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it. So I wait for the sales. So it's uh, the new ones, stuff.
0: the new barricades.
1: Yeah. So no, yeah. yeah, the, yeah, the new ones, but from the with summer, the like, blue
0: and the green and the white, like the blue, green, white.
1: Mm, these are the, almost like all white with the orange.
0: Ah. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, yeah. I know which ones. I have the same. I, I was on a review for them. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so I just ordered the the ones that are on sale right now at Tennis Warehouse. Um, those was like a hundred bucks or whatever. So I got the, not the newest ones. They look like space shoes, um, like the blue ones. And uh, and we'll see how those go. I really want to try those Yonex ones. Those are the new red Yonex that Rude was wearing, but he's wearing a new pair now. Because um, the bottoms, me, I look at the bottoms. I want that V tread or whatever you want to call it, the, the mm-hmm. W tread. Those are my favorite. I'm old school. The Nike's man, I, I slip around in those things. They're made for for squeakers for kids who like to to, to slide hard on hard courts. Yeah, I hate. I cannot do that. Like, I just feel like my, my I'm gonna rip my ankle if I do that. Yeah, I, I don't
0: probably. think it's the most. Uh, I mean, they all seem to do. It. I played this 19 uh, year old Aussie kid who's who's a good player yesterday, and he slides all the time on the hard court. Like, I'm like, what what are you doing, man? Like, I can't. I mean, obviously, my knees are old and stuff, but but uh, yeah it, it looks crazy the way they they slide around because this this yeah. court is also quite um has like a grainy surface like sandpaper so i don't even know how he slides but it, probably his shoes are worn out but it's uh, so it's pretty interesting
1: yeah so back in the day like you know sneakers with the with the w tread they don't squeak that much but the ones they they make them specifically for like certain holes at least i assume i don't know i'm not like you said i'm not an expert on sneakers but it just seems a certain sneaker squeak more than others. And yeah, uh, for sure. It, it was K Swiss. K Swiss made the squeaky sneaker. And again, I never forget, I was playing a match. And every time the kid put up a toss, I, you know, chirp, 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 chirp. And, you know, you're <laughs> you're 16 years old, you're just being a bonehead. But and the kid wouldn't serve. I swear this kid tossed maybe 20 times, wouldn't serve. And I'm like, buddy, you got to serve. Like, he's like, well, you got to stop making noise. I'm like, I can't help my sneakers. K Swiss, they just squeak. And then he we went and got the tournament director, and the tournament director is like, "You got to serve," but he's squeaking his sneakers on. Like, hey, you got to serve, or I'm gonna call a fault <laughs> on this and uh, But it's kind of funny because, again, I mean, I was much worse back in the day. Um, more mm, like I said, walking on eggshells. Even like people around me, my friends know, like they're like, "Yeah, you know," but kids settled me down. Each, you know, you like you said, I got four, like you know, I got four kids. But each kid kind of settled me down a little bit more and grounded me a little bit, but. At the same time, you know, you can't change some things like you get a little couple of triggers here and there. Um, but one yeah, I think that's one just funny.
0: gets, um, sorry, that's just gets ingrained in your behavior. And I, I think it's just something you have to manage. I mean, you're not going to be become a super calm person straight out of nowhere. right?
1: No, and one of the funny stories I was going to tell you, so this kid, car- you know, everything carries over to adulthood and, you know, blah, 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 all this stuff. And I was just uh, goes back some years my oldest kids. So now my oldest are like 15, going to be 16 this next month. And my 14 year old, they were like probably seven and five. I'm driving down the road by my house and it's using an S curve. And I go by this S curve. My, my car gets clumped by a couple acorns. And I'm like, you know, it's daytime, summertime, acorns shouldn't be dropping. So I'm like, God damn it. And my kid's like, what, what dad, what dad? I'm like, some freaking kids just hit me with uh, acorns. They're like, how do you know that? That they could have fell from the tree. I go, don't tell me what this is. This was I was getting hit by kids, whatever, blah blah blah. And they're like, "How do you know?" I'm like, "I was one of those kids." Don't mess. Don't don't ever question me. I know this is the truth. So anyway, long story short, the fall comes, the leaves fall. What do I see? A fort up in the woods. And I'm like, hmm. I go, "There's that fort. That's where I got clunks from." So now, fast forward years later, I redid uh, the bathrooms in my house, and the old bathrooms, like it's almost like that green in your background right there. It was like that, like that green's probably better. That's pea green. This bath, this toilet I had it was like people it was original from the the house being built. It Was like a uh, puke green. So anyway, I I left that thing in my garage all these years, and I said I'm gonna put that on that kid's fort one night. And uh, so anyway, <laughs> I had a couple buddies come over. They've been drinking, you know, whatever. I might have had a drink or two. And the guy's got a Ford F one fifty. So all of a sudden, I'm like, hey, you, you want to go do the toilet thing? And he's like, sure. He's like, you want me to drop a deuce in it? I go, no, come on, I, that's disgusting. I don't want any of that crap in there because we got to put it up. We got to hoist it on the kids' uh, the kids' fort. So the the platform was probably about head level. So it was maybe about like six feet up. So we put the toilet in the back of uh, the guy's truck and we just drive down the road. We get dropped off by one guy, me and the other guy. We pick up the toilet, we put it in the kid's fort. We put the seat up and we we're laughing about it. I'll send you a pic, it's pretty funny. You'll probably laugh about it. Um. Cause one like every day I drove by it and I see it up there when the leaves fell down. So this is like I put it up there before the leaves fell, this one year. So this is like years later, after those kids hit me with the acorns. And that's where I can't get the little kid prankster out of me. So anyway, I take a picture of it and the leaves fall. What do you see? This toilet. So one day my daughter comes home from school and she shows me a picture on her phone. She goes, Dad, the bus driver knows. He's like, Look at. And she took, you know, the buses have those mirrors up top above his head, those big mirrors so you can see the whole bus. Well, on that mirror, the guy Xeroxed a copy of the toilet. He took a picture of the toilet sitting in the trees and I was like cracking up, laughing. Every time I drove by, I I would cry. I would just drive down the road. I'd be crying. I'd come back. I'd be crying. I'd be like, Oh my God, that thing lasted for months. It wasn't until like February. So I put it up there in October. It was February when it it got taken down. I saw the people in the woods (laughs) taking it down. I was like, Hey, the kids shouldn't have hit me with acorns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I was it. laughing about it, but, um, but so the point I'm getting at is like that's like the kind of stuff that kind of carries over to my tennis. It's like all that prankstery stuff. I'm like, look, you're gonna catch me on a bad day. I'm gonna manipulate the hell out of your hands or your movement, and you're gonna have a shit day. And I'm and then I'm gonna kind of stare at you a little bit and be like, you just could have been better if you just would leave me alone. But now that you like. I call it like that movie, like Rambo. You know, you draw first blood, then you draw first blood. Now I'm gonna finish this, and then I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna just torment you for the rest of the time. I'm a lot more relaxed than I used to be, but that's still that's one of those things you try to kick when you get older. You're like, ah, eh. but it's pretty funny though, because uh, that stuff happens here and there. I, I have a couple moments of like my kid brain coming in and uh, being like, hey, sounds like a good idea. Let's go put this toilet in this guy's for. See what happens. <laughs> and, uh, and, but I wanted, I wasn't going to do it like a biannual thing. I was going to stick in his Ford every, every couple of years, but I felt bad. I was like, I ah, thing weighed, you know, it didn't weigh a ton, but it, it was such a pain. It got dry rod. It was hanging a little bit. It was tilted, but, but that's the kind of stuff I talk about where kids, you know, I just grew up a little bit different, more, like I said, more of a prankster. So that comes out in my tennis. Um, but some of the kids who grew up at the country clubs who just sit there and just Stroke, 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 strokes, and then they wonder why they can't get anywhere. It's because well what do you think about manipulating this guy's hands? Huh? What? What? I just want to hit winners. I you know, I just want to play some winner ball and I just wanna to crank to the corners and and uh isn't that what we're supposed to do? Plus one. That's what everyone's talking about now. Plus one, plus one, you know, serve this and bang the ball to that corner. And I'm like, well, again, I write about this, but I'm like, well, what does that say about tennis? You know, do you want tennis to be just a meatball sport? And then pickleball is gonna take over. Like, if if plus ones are taken over, then...
0: Is that one of the issues for tennis? Like, because now the the players, if you look at professional tennis these days, they have so much power. It's insane. Like, and I I saw a a, a tweet from Andy Murray, and he was complaining that all the courts now have, like, slower speeds generally, or they're quite similar speed every court. Balls are pretty slow. Everything gets slow because players hit so big. So, I mean, back in the day, you had, like, ultra-fast courts, super-slow courts and different balls it was a little bit all over the place you really needed to to kind of adapt your game to the conditions always and now it's kind of the same wherever you go which is obviously easier for players because they know like this is the tempo of the court this the tempo of the ball then there are obviously differences everywhere but they're not as as kind of vast not as stark differences but if there's you know for a while we had this in the 2000s where there were big servers who were coming up like Ivanisevic and and you had then like Karlovic, and you had like people were worried, like with Isner and all those guys, that people were just gonna serve their way, you know, to slams, like just serve, serve, serve. And now you have the power players, massive ground strokes. But at the same time, it seems like now the they are getting it so much better at defense as well. So the rallies can still go on forever, even if you have guys ripping the wall side to side. So tennis has just become this quite extreme sport so do you do you think i mean when you wrote about winner ball which means like obviously someone going for it and you That's mentioned um, taylor fritz is one of the examples i think he's, he's getting maybe a little bit more i would say structured but yes he's he's can he can you know rip it for sure if he needs to and big sir
1: yeah one thing i just thought of while you were saying that stuff when the course got slower you know you think about like the game's going to get slower but i think the game gets faster because when you slow the court and i have more time i have more time to rip the ball but when the courts were fast back in the 80s and 90s, yeah, the, the ball was fast, the points weren't as much, but it was still a thinking game. When it's slower now, I just feel like everyone's adapting. The technology is adapting to the slowness, and they're just crank, crank, crank. But if you watch, like that's one of the things I write about WTA being behind the eight ball, is it's not their fault. It's not women aren't as good as men, technically. What it is is if you're playing two out of three sets winter ball is fine why do you have to play box training why do you have to do combos why do you have to do anything when you can just crank the first neutral ball to the corner um and that's the big difference is is a fritz Well, look what happens at the us open he goes he gets bounced early some of those winter ball guys i was there for one of the quality days next year i'll probably want to go for like three four days but i was watching the practices and the only guy that was really Busting his butt was Alcaraz. Well, who wins the U.S. Open? Alcaraz. I once I was there that day before the tournament started. I go, he'll do well. I mean, I you never can predict who's going to win, but I said he'll he'll at least make the semis. I I was thinking quarter semis, but you know that's probably obvious, maybe. But um, but when I watched Fritz out there, I was like, mm, I go, this is not going to work. The guy I really like is uh Tiafoe. Like he's he's fun. He's fun. He's a he's a very fun guy in practice. He, he chit chats with the crowd. He's he's always. He's gonna be like the next. He's gonna make the U.S. game a lot better.
0: Yeah, he's a star in the making for sure. I mean, he's already a star, of course, but but he's such a good role model in the way that he he cracks a smile while he plays, which I think is fantastic. I think this is the how tennis. I this is what I like. I mean, I play this ITF uh, Masters tournament, which is the old you new name for the seniors tournaments uh, in the 35 and 40 age group. And players are ultra serious. Like I, I was shocked. Like I was like, okay, hey, you know, we're not playing for prize money. It's some, you know, ITF points, of course, but but hey, you know, let's smile, like applaud each other's shots. Let's have fun, you know. Let's try to play good tennis, but have fun. And who wins, yeah. who wins. But then like they're super serious, argue about line calls. And I was like a bit disappointed about this whole experience. Obviously, I have to then, you know, get that into my system that this is, you know, more about winning now and not so much about having fun. But if a guy like Tiafo can play for millions of dollars, still laugh, still go and high-five the crowd, and and use them, you know, at the the energy of the crowd, which the crowd loves. Like, tennis is a spectator sport. Like, I I don't like when people go like, yeah, but he's he's doing too much. Okay, I get it. I get what you mean, that he can disrupt the opponent. But that's also a little bit the game he plays, you know? But on the other hand, you want players that bring audience interaction, because that is what makes tennis better. So he is uh and also he's fantastic reads the game well can play pretty much any shot and he plays like volleys he could drop shots he plays everything right full full registry.
1: yeah and I, i'll pick on him but it's not his fault like i'll pick on his recovery stuff because it's usda recovery system i call it it's it's recovering to spots and once he figures out that you don't have to recover to spots you can kind of flow it's kind of like a dance it's hard to explain but you watch, the, like, one of these turkeys online posted something about, like, recover like better recover like this, and it's like, this is what you want to do with this crossover step. I'm like, there's a time and a place for a crossover step, and there's a time and a place to shuffle. Like, there's no one way that's the better way. You have to be able to do both. And if you watch Nadal and Djokovic, they don't crank out of the corners. They come out slowly because they know how to do it. They're they're working on time and space. These guys who come out to a certain spot, like, oh, I would pick them apart. Like, from a, now, I was am an old-timer. but from a coaching standpoint, I could just, I would love to be breaking down matches. I mean, I said this summer, I think I told you already, but I sent some player packages out and I just laughed because because it, things are being done. I go, whether it was my words or not, that somebody's somebody's like getting tuned to it and be like, oh my God, this guy, he, he's, you know, I broke down like a McDonald match, like a McKenzie McDonald match. And I wrote like a 10 page assessment. I think I sent some of you to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was pretty funny. Um it was basic. I could have got more into it, but I'm like, if they don't contact, I'm just like, whatever. Yeah. Hey, I'll give you this for free. But if you want more of this, I'll tell you how to beat all these other players too, if you want. But if not, Oh, well, you know, I'll just sit here in Massachusetts and fart around and make <laughs> jokes and stuff. Tiafo is going to change the game for the Americans. Uh, people can make fun of his strokes, but he's fine. He's good to go. He's, he's good. And he's, I don't know. I'd say for America, he's like our next great, great hope. But don't
0: you think like that makes like I have this discussion sometimes, like obviously you you want the most uh, energy efficient strokes, right? That's going to help your tennis to have the energy efficient, meaning time efficient. And also like the the bigger, the loopier, the swing might reduce your timing. But then you have guys like Medvedev hits the ball super clean despite look awkward looking, you know, swings. And also I think that if all the swings were the same, it would look really boring you know the this, this sport would look quite dull like you, you have these matches when you have both of the guys which i think should be completely avoidable and they wear the same kit like oh we both sponsored by nike here we are with two very green how do you not solve this like how do you not have a communication from the sponsor oh you're playing another nike guy you have a home and away kit this guy is going to be home and he's going to be away. Like you wear the red one, he wears the green one. Like so people on TV can see the difference. He said, oh, no, we have to wear the same thing. Tennis sometimes makes so many mistakes as a sport, as a spectator sport, that it's like ridiculous how how bad it is.
1: Yeah, even for the USTA, I wrote to USTA a couple of times and I said, you guys should be using college formats. I said, it would be more fun. I said, if 32 kids sign up for a tournament, you can break them into four whatever six person teams and they can play a college format and then you get points as a team and the ones play the ones the twos play the twos and crickets nothing and I'm like well look at pickleball pickleball is going to take over when when I don't know who's in the USTA to be honest everybody I know in the USTA not hopefully they don't listen to this they're like not coaches they, they never played at a high level they never did anything with the game now I'm saying at the local level like obviously there's some guys who work for the USTA that were at the higher level, but what are they concerned with? They're concerned for the next, they're looking for the next great American. They're not looking to grow the game. They're looking for the next great American. And then they're like, oh, come down to USTA Training Center. Uh, we'll give you free everything. And then they bring them down there and they they just want to be, you know, that's where the ego, they don't let their ego go. And then they they want to be like, oh, I'm the one who trained this guy. I'm the one who did this. And it's like, yeah, but that's just one guy. Like that's I guess the only reason I want to go online is like. In my area, I'm maxed out. Like, every like enough people know me, and they know what I bring, but nobody knows me from, say, Colorado. No one knows me from Europe. So if I can spit something out and start changing the way other people think about the game, then, then I guess I'm supposed to do that. But it, it will bug me a little bit because I think you had said something out, it's like a full 24-7 type thing, and I'm not that guy. Like, I want to – like at, at this moment right now I feel like I want to disappear. I want to like take a 2 month hiatus and just not talk to anybody, just disappear and come back refreshed. <laughs>
0: but you already live in Massachusetts, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is, yeah, yeah. This is like nobody knows what's yeah. You,
0: you can go yeah. where all the ATP pros go uh, to the Maldives. Like they like the all the the off-season pictures from the from the you know, obviously more successful professionals, not only ATP, WTA as well. They go to the Maldives. Like they go to these, you know, tropical Island, And I understand it. Like they want to get away from everything because the the tour is is, is a grind. Obviously, it's a luxury grind for some, but it's obviously you're playing, training, playing, training, seeing the same faces, uh, always traveling, which must take a lot of energy. I mean, sometimes it's... I mean, a lot of people would be uh, very, very jealous of that lifestyle. I've traveled a lot in business before and it it, it gets to you. Like it's quite draining, you know, after a while. And uh, I I am pretty impressed they can just keep going new you know city temperature everything hotel and they need to get started like on the tennis court as like hours after arriving right it just yeah keeps on.
1: Those, those guys have to be creative because i I not talked about this the other day someone was talking about you know if you were a pro if this and that. i said i probably would have lasted five years because i would have got bored to see the same city same this but if i went and played and checked out one part of like say paris and then like okay I checked out that next time I come I'm gonna check out this you know next time I'm gonna do that then it would be a little bit fun but again like you said it's like when you travel a little bit you you kind of realize it's it's a small world when you live in this little bubble in like say Massachusetts or whatever part of the country you live in or a world you don't know what's out there when you go what's out there it's like well it's still the same crap it just looks a little different you know so it's like but it's good to to experience different things. Like when I look back at my life, I, you know, I coach in Louisiana, I coach at Cornell, I coach at different places. I lived in South Carolina. It kind of shaped me a little bit, but it also taught me that, you know, it's a small world out there. Um, but people like that, I know that never left Massachusetts, it's like they live in a bubble, their minds in a bubble, everything's a bubble. Um, and it's hard to talk to people like that because they just don't get it. They just don't get that, uh, you know, the differences and the similarities of living in different areas. Like I'll tell my kids right now, I'm like, do not go to school in, or college in Massachusetts. I'm, do not go in New England. You want to get the hell out of here so you can experience another part of the country. If you get a chance to go abroad, take it. Um, cause that's one of the regrets I have. I wish I went one semester abroad at least. And then, uh, you know, and experience stuff. Like well, life's about experience, not about like closure about sitting in one little spot for the rest of your life and just slowly dying I said you want to experience as much as possible to a certain degree
0: you have to always go out of your comfort zone right I mean um, try to do new things see new places talk to new people change up your life because otherwise you get stuck in this this grind and I, I mean I'm a person that can happily grind away but I always feel better when I when I mix things up a bit it could be related to tennis practice obviously you can say hey you don't don't play always the same guy the same drill the same format, you know, try new things, but also in life to like, yeah, you know, as soon as you travel, you start to feel your brain kind of like open up a bit. Like you feel like you get some fresh air inside the brain suddenly, which is just yeah. getting into this kind of pattern of the same thing every day. Uh, and the grind I think can be quite dangerous for development because you get stuck, you know, the say if you, if you always challenge yourself, like, oh, here's a new problem, new situation, new city, new this you can definitely see more growth, more development, and, and also your life becomes richer, I think, in general. That's the way I try to see it. Obviously, you, can't, you don't need to go to extremes, but I think it's hard to have that as a thing in your head.
1: Yeah, like even for me, when I I say I read a lot, I read a good amount each year, different stuff and. that. Uh, I'm always worried that I'm one book away from never reading again because I don't know if I ever find another book that's worth reading. But then I always end up finding another book, you know. So I like get into a couple of different things, and you know, whether it can be something like hunting, even though I don't hunt yet, that's something I think about. Like I think about getting a compound bow and just doing something different.
0: When you read, do you um do you give up on books or do you just finish them no matter what? Like, I think it's sometimes um a problem I have now with you know social media, everything so fast you have access to YouTube and you, your computer always or your phone. And if the book is not super gripping in the first 10 pages, you put it away, it's tough to just keep going, you know, keep hammering or keep reading through. You're, you're very spoiled and you require quite a lot from the book to to actually finish the book. Uh, before yeah. when I was younger, I used to read a lot, but now there are too many distractions.
1: Yeah, even so I had like four or five books I had opened in the springtime and I was reading bits and pieces each day, of different ones, and then I just shelled them. I said, all right, summertime comes, I don't have any time to do as much. So now I just popped a couple books and just started finishing where I where I left off. But yeah, and then sometimes I think about like, maybe I'm not supposed to read this book. Maybe it's not making any sense. Like there's one guy, that Jack Carr guy who does all the...
0: He was on Rogan, I think. Yeah,
1: I listened to his podcast. His podcasts are really good. The, the people he brings in if that's the kind of thing you're into um but so anyway he he's got that series so i read the first book i'm like oh it's not bad second book's better third book is really good i read i think the fourth book was like devil's hand or something i read maybe 10 20 pages i was like why is he reading why is he writing so like thick why is this paragraphs are so thick i'm like you're just writing really well and all of a sudden this i sent him an instagram message and i was like hey why'd you change your style i'm just curious crickets but I laugh because I'm just a weirdo like that. Like I'll send people some random, some random instant messages. And uh, so, but coming back to it, like after listening to his podcast more and stuff like this, I'm like, Oh, I kind of get it. Like maybe he wants to change his style a little bit because who wants to be the same, you know, write a bunch of meaty stuff that is the same. Maybe he wanted to get more, maybe he's trying to do something different. So now I'm going to hit that book soon and uh, go back to it and have it with more of a clear mind. And uh, and I close mine. I wanted that third book to be just. I want the fourth book to be just like the third book. And like, who's who do I to say? That's his book. It's his writing. Like, so I'm trying to appreciate differences. People trying to develop their style. Maybe this book makes him develop the next four books into a different form. So it's like tennis, right? It's like Tiger Woods when he was winning all those majors and then all of a sudden he's reworking his swing. Like, why is this guy reworking the string? He's the like, greatest call forever. And he's like, well, maybe he figured, you know, why keep doing the same old crap? Like, maybe I want to change my trajectory. Maybe I want to do this. Maybe I want to do that. And keep growing as a person, you know, cause God forbid you grow as a person, you know, you, you, you're going to stay the same bonehead you're going to be from 10 years old and you're 50 years old. But, um, but yeah, there's the development stage that that people don't understand. I think that's all those people stuck in a nine to fivers, but I think it's
0: interesting because the most like fans of something they want things to remain the same because that gives them a feeling of like partly it's obviously the enjoyment they enjoy something because it's it appeals to them for different reasons but they also like because it's familiar right so they want to go back to that familiar place like you say hey, okay novel one two three I have this familiar tone of voice I like it it works you know what you're getting uh, it's like you're opening you know a McDonald's blah 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 I'm not saying the books are like McDonald's sorry Jack uh, but it's like you know what you're getting, right? I noticed that with YouTube, sometimes people, I change something, they go like, hey, why don't you do it like the way you used to do it? Or why is this not the same thing? And obviously, people want that. And I know the same, I I would be like, yeah, I have this creator or this author or this band that I'm listening to. And, you know, in music, sometimes they can make three albums sound the same. And suddenly they have like some really experimental shit for album four, and they change it again for five. And that's development that's them seeking something which i think is very healthy and very kind of gutsy to do because it's easier if you want to make money to just go hey this is successful i'm just going to keep doing this for 100 years and then i'm you know the same thing it's when you actually dare to change things up that you develop something and you actually grow and and then people can stick with you for the ride or you find a new audience you might lose some but then you gain some others so it's I think people have to be more open to just changing and doing things differently if that's what their heart desires. I think it's better to just do it for yourself than think, oh, my fans, they will hate this next book. Well, if you want to try to do the book that way, do it that way.
1: Yeah, and when going back on that is like what I was talking about before, like having that feeling of wanting to disappear. I think now that you just said that, it makes me think about like, well, I think I want to disappear because I want to change something. There's something I want to change, but I can't, you know how it is. Like if you're every day, muck and muck like you're just going through your nine to five and it's hard to change but if you give a little breather if you could just it's that's what's hard about life is like a, like I, if i could just have two weeks to just travel the country i just want to just want to go on a road trip i want to go like silly stuff like go see yosemite go see this go see that in the summertime and then it'll recharge me for six months after uh, a year i don't know two years who knows how long but it, i know that it, there, my mind wants a break from its everyday boring blah 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 and then uh but if you don't get it and then and then you get that that feeling of like life is what it is i'm just nine to five i'm just doing this i teach my lessons i do this i blah 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 um that's what i worry about and that's where like i, I like i feel like i'm at the crossroads right now like I'm trying to figure out how to manage i'll say desires but how to manage like that freedom try to get but when you're you know you get the four kids, you got all this stuff, all these responsibilities makes it harder to, uh, if if, you told me like 20 years ago, Hey, don't have four kids. And this is why, and this is, and then you gave me a little like blurb. What's that Christmas story or whatever the past, present and future. Yeah. I probably would have made the same choices, but at the same time, I would have had a bit more knowledge. (laughs)
0: There's no real point in regretting anything because it's already happened. Like that's my philosophy in, in life in general is if to look back in regret over anything you did is pointless because you can't buy a time machine and go back anyway. I just think like in your situation... It would be for, nice though. It would be, yeah, nice. it would be nice. It would be nice to... So you can actually have three tries, like a Mario game. You know, you have three lives and you can mm-hmm. live them and you can try different things. I think that would be very healthy. For, the thing I was going to say was that I have a friend who had the same feeling. Like, And I think maybe it's, it's something that happened post-COVID or, or whatever people had a lot of time to think and it was very strange for a long time. And he's a designer. He he designed two. I wrote two novels, and he designed the the covers. He's a very talented guy. He's designed like album covers for bands and stuff, and uh, you know, video games and stuff like that. But he had no creativity after that. He had like a lot of issues in the family. Like the father was sick, a lot of stuff going on, and he was like, I just need to get some creativity flowing, right? And then he's like, Yeah, I'm gonna go away for a bit, you know. And he has no kids yet, so I think for him it was easier in that sense. Obviously, practically. Uh, but obviously, as a girlfriend, has to be understanding. So he was like, "Okay, I'm I'm gonna go a month to Japan," and I was like, "Okay, that sounds like a plan that does not materialize." You know, it, it's some people, you you know, you're having a few drinks, you're like, "Okay," in mean, two years, I'm gonna do this, or one year, I'm gonna do this. But now he's actually in Japan. Like I saw uh, messages from him, yeah, yesterday, and he's like, "Yeah, it's traveling around Japan now, like trying to get his creative mojo going," and I think it's it's gonna work because yeah. he just wanted to shock his system because japan is so different from like mediterranean countries or europe or any many places us whatever uh so i think it's it's a smart move i think he can only gain from this
1: yeah i think it, what i've been thinking about lately is is like artists in general they have like uh they're hard to deal with in a lot of ways because quirkiness like you know whether it's ptsd triggers and stuff like that but um i always said Before I got married, I said, whoever marries me, I tell my buddies. I'm like, they're in for a handful. I'm not a boozer. I'm not a guy who's out drunk, driving around, you know, womanizing, stuff like that. But but there's just needs I have, and those some of those needs are disappearing. Like, I like, I don't know, for whatever reason, I just want to just walk away. Walk away for, who knows, a week, two weeks, two months, and then just come back refreshed and, like, nothing ever happened. Like, the funny thing about that is the people you're surrounded with, We'll just be going about their everyday life. You no, know, they won't notice a thing, but you're the one who's going to notice everything. You're going to be like, oh my God. You know, when you sit back and you're in it every day, you don't see it. It's like the USTA. It's like what I think about with them is like, they're in it every day and they didn't, they need an outside voice to say something to to shake them up or pickleball is going to take over. So I'm, I'm just telling you flat out. Like that's that's where, even the club I'm at, all the, I was talking to an, older, pro, or an older, pro, older player last night and he's like, yeah, I just, I turned 65 next year. Is all my buddies are just going to pickleball. And I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. I go, you're getting old, but he still plays. But he's like, I'm probably, I could probably go that route too. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> you know.
0: I'm curious about this. Like, I mean, everybody talks about it. Like YouTube creators, tennis players, everyone. The the massive growth of pickleball. I mean, I've played pickleball here in Malta, which is still like not super popular, but they're trying a bit to, to grow the game. Uh, in Europe, we have Puddle, which is like squash and tennis combined. Like you're playing... Uh, inside like a glass cage sounds bad in a sense there, but like you can use the walls, you know. And then you play tennis rules and it's doubles. Uh, it's a fun sport. Like it's not for me. I mean, I-, I can play it occasionally and enjoy it, but it's not super much for me. Uh, but uh, I also try pickleball. It's also a fun sport, but I don't quite understand like the appeal, you know, the the massive appeal. Obviously, it's like you don't need to move so much. So if you have injuries obesity or any other issues uh, you can actually play like anyone can play you can just say that tagline anyone can play because it's relatively easy ball travels real slow in the wind and whatever but what do you see like where you live like is, is pickleball really becoming that thing or is it like exaggerated
1: with the pickleball it's making its way in the country clubs like one country club down the road from me they put four four courts just pickleball courts there's a, a park in another town, that's another couple towns over that put three, they have three courts. My town was talking about putting four courts in at the middle school. And then the lady that at the club I work at, that the manager and one of the teachers, she said, she was, you got to get certified for pickleball. She goes, and I started thinking about it. I'm like, I probably do. I probably got to start doing a little bit of pickleball. Um, I played one time. It's all right. I just felt like I had to do a lot with my hands and, uh, There's no give there's no leeway right so it's like a smaller area you have to hit on but like you said if you're not moving it's probably easier for the people who don't move but for me being a manipulator i want to when i was down in charlotte i looked at some of the paddles i went to a couple tennis places down there with my buddy and i i grabbed the paddles and i look at them i I rub them and i'm like well if it's got good sandpaper feel i can really drop the ball i can do a lot of spinny shots with it but that ball is so hokey it's just like you can't do anything with it. You, you, I need something with substance that I can manipulate that one. It's like what I equated to is like one time when I was teaching, like maybe, I don't know, 10 plus years ago at this one, uh, this one indoor tennis club, there was kids, there's two tracks. You're going to go tournament track or you're going to go high school track. And it's just, one's a little bit more high performance. One's a little bit less. And what happened was some of the younger kids who were like 12, 13, who were playing regular tournament training, that were kind of weaker players just getting into it, say 11, maybe more like 10, 11, 12. They would play some of the green ball kids and they'd have to use a green ball. Well, the green ball kids would do better because the spin didn't matter. It killed the spin. So those kids were just poking balls back and the tournament player was trying to do regular swing and it wasn't working. So I look at pickleball like that. Like with like a green ball, like if you if you play green ball with like a kid, they have a better chance of rallying with you. If you play with regular ball, you just spin the ball a little bit. They're like, "Adios," you know. Not, they're not getting the ball back. But I look at ball like that in the sense that like it doesn't even matter how much like Can you even put that much spin on the ball? It just sits there. I, I would that, that, like when I go and get into it. If I do, I'll probably look at that. I'll probably look for a paddle with sandpaper, and if there's probably no regulation on it. So I'll probably make it a little stickier.
0: <laughs> I have a guy who reviews puddles for uh, tennis nerd, uh, cause he's into pickleball and I thought it was a growing thing. So my, my, my view is this, I, I don't give shit to other racket sports. Cause I think it's great that people move no matter what. Like, I, I mean, it's, it's fun. Like I, I happily play pickleball, puddle, whatever um so it's it's no no harm i it's only thing that that bothers you obviously is when they remove tennis courts and they put pickleball courts there i mean that that hurts a bit because it's a sport you love but overall i mean like much happier people do pickleball than than snort coke right i mean or something else i mean it's 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 a much better hobby and much more productive i would say so I, i think it's good that people do um do sports in general and, and the growth of a game is, is not really a danger to tennis. Hopefully, we can just co- co- coexist. And then, like, you can actually take players from pickleball to say, hey, you know, you want to go for a deeper, more physically demanding sport? Go into tennis. Some tennis players will say, no, pickleball is much easier. I'm going to just do that. Okay, it's fine. You know, it's, it's then, you know, tennis is going to require more. It's fine. But you can also play doubles in tennis. It's going to require a bit less. So it's uh, there's ways you can, can work around it.
1: Yeah, I laugh. I was joking around the other day about how some of the older ladies at the club, I remember from when I was a kid, like seventeen. I'm like, man, when they're playing tennis out there, it's like serve, return, and, and they just watch it and they say like nice shot. And I'm like, What do you mean nice shot? Like my five like my my eight-year-old can get that ball back. Like, what are you doing? You gotta run after it. But I feel bad because they're older. But at the same time, even me, so what am I? I, I just turned forty-eight this fall and I'm changing my eating habits. Like I'm like, look, I can't keep, I got this little pouch on my stomach. I you know, I call myself a fatty. I'm not but to my for my standards i'm a fatty but so i start fasting a little bit uh, a couple like in the mornings and i start fasting uh like one day a week and all of a sudden I, that little pouch is gone i'm like okay back in the day i used to be able to just go through the summertime and sweat it out almost like a sauna and it used to just go away now i'm like okay i think i'm getting at that age where i gotta start doing something i, I cannot i gotta change my eating habits i gotta start doing whatever but I think about those old people on the tennis court I'm like they never change your eating habits they're getting bigger they're getting slower and I'm like man you got to start eating differently you can't just eat the same stuff from again it's like it's like the people like living from 10 years old to 50 and never changing anything never seeing and experience anything it's the same thing
0: I agree I think it's it's very important to um because you can work out every day and then I'm 40 now and you can work out every day uh, which i which i do which i'm sure you do because you coach every day right and and then yeah. if your eating habits are a bit off i'm generally a healthy eater but like if you're hanging out with friends there's a few beers here and there and the beers are like your number one enemy generally if like you and i'm not a big drinker but obviously it's nice after tennis let's go for a few yeah. few drinks you know uh, and that's kind of the vibe you have in in spain as well like you you have a few beers maybe after a tennis session And then you suddenly start feeling like, okay, this is not like the best, like you get pouchy or whatever you want to call it. And, and if you start cutting that out, you see quick, quickly, like a big positive impact. Like I met this guy, he is your age, uh, 47 ish. Right. And, and he was like ripped, like he had like six pack, super physically fit. And I asked him like, Hey, what, what are you doing? And he's like, yeah, I just cut out the the beer. You know, I was like, cut out like the, the shit from my diet. And then he's, I mean, it was obviously working out, but it, you need to adjust your diet to what your goals are. Like if you want to feel healthy and and good, like you have to, you don't have to do anything extreme, but like you did, like I've, one day of fasting sounds good. I, I tried some, not like a whole day, you know, but I, I do some like micro fasting, like 16 hours, 18 hours, whatever, you know, yeah, and that's I, what I do.
1: That's what yeah. I do. Yeah.
0: And it, I you, do feel, you feel, you feel leaner kind of quite straight away, right? You feel like quite good. Like your body had to go through something a little bit. Right?
1: Yeah. And one day I went to a, like this Mexican restaurant down the road and this, I ran to this guy i seen in years and he's like, man, you look skinny. I'm like skinny. I'm like, I guess so. But then I like look at my, I weigh myself. I'm like, yeah, I did drop about like four or five pounds since I've been fasting. And I'm like, but it was all crap weight. But then I'm like, but I don't want to be that skinny old guy who's like all wiry and like veiny. So I'm like, well, how am I going to get that on? So like, I joked around during my birthday week, I was like buying a cupcake and a, and a junk like every day, eating one a day for seven days. I lasted like three days. And I swear even on a second day, I wake up that second day and I'm like, Thinking about buying a cupcake that day, and I just felt like sick. I was like, Ugh. I go, who can eat this shit every day? And I'm like, I know a lot of people eat this shit every day. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, How yeah, they do that. Like they just, you just get addicted to the sugars.
0: You build up these, this, um habits in your body, whatever it's exercise or sugars or whatever. Habits are everything, and uh, and your body wants to go back to that every time. And I think what what I've like read uh, and you know talk to my parents who are like 65, and they they're actually exercising and eating pretty well uh, but it's very important to lift weights when you get up to a certain age like it's very important for your skeleton it's good for your body like you won't have like the bone density issues with older people like if they you know if it's icy outside and they slip they, they break something like straight away right
1: like one of the yeah. things i want to do now i'm like trying to figure out like i'm trying to get a hold of some rope but because i want to i want to do like rocky four i want to just tie i want to lasso a like a 25 dumbbell and I want to throw it up on like 30 feet of like tree. And I just want to pull back and forth. I want to pull and let it release, pull and let it release and then run a little bit and then like let it fall back and then run and let, and I want to go old school because I hate going to the gym. I don't, I like doing work and like working out, but I don't like sitting there pumping iron. I just, I love to do like weird shit. Like, like I said, cut trees down, chop trees, do like that whole Rocky four thing. I don't know what, why that's in my brain, but I love that stuff. Um, because I feel like that's real strength. You're not when you're at the gym you just pump out 10 reps on a on a machine. You're just like, yeah, yeah. All you're doing is bloating your body. You know, you're not building strength. You're just building some kind of weird mechanism you're never going to use. Like how many times like have you do you ever do bench presses back in a day and then you go to hit tennis balls and you're like, oh, I feel like a I feel like a meathead. You know, I feel like I Yeah,
0: I mean, guy. my my take on this is is not so far from yours. I mean, I used to always be like a, a gym goer. In the sense that like you go and you do the regular weight stuff, uh, periods you were doing more, periods you were doing less. Generally, I'm not so attracted to the like the gym machine world anymore. Like I like more like calisthenics, like body weights, sit-ups, you know, doing uh, every morning push-ups or, or pull-ups or something like that you can actually easily do at home. And you can have resistance bands and stuff because it seems to work better for tennis as well. And and also I like to do some stretching because your body gets old and, and the problems I have with my knees are generally like get worse when I'm feeling tight. While, like you said, with the gym, if you do a lot of gym, I had a friend, he was like kind of a bodybuilder tennis player I mean, as soon as he was bulking up, he was so slow. Like he was just, he, he he couldn't play tennis properly. And his, his body was so tight. The muscles were so, you know, tight that he couldn't really swing in a relaxed way. Then you're better off like a Medvedev, who's like a lanky, you know, two meter guy. Being this bulky animal, I, I it might work to attract the ladies, but it's not probably the most like practically useful thing to be in your life, right?
1: Yeah, then the funny thing I laugh at with the, some of those guys, I, I look at them like that, you know, that that blonde bimbo, you know, like you get the blonde bimbo, but you got the, the guy meathead. It's like the same person, just different. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Just different genders, right? It's, I mean, it's the same category of, of people. Marbella is quite like LA vibes in, in like Beverly Hills vibes in some areas, you know, it's like Botox and, and plastic surgery and guys who they look like the Hulk and they drive around in Lamborghinis and stuff like that. I mean, this is not all marbella but that crowd is here for sure okay, you go to this gym or this gym it's gonna be like a feast of these types of people you know so you generally i'd avoid that it's not kind of my my crowd
1: did you make the move to spain or not
0: yeah I'm, I'm considering it like i mean i'm i'm being there a lot more my parents just moved actually so they're living there now as a test for for six months they're gonna try to live there and just get away from the Swedish dreary weather, especially now, like Sweden is getting darker and darker now, uh, this, this few months. So I think it's a good move for them. And I, I think also it's good that I'm there. I, I haven't lived in the same country as my parents for like 15 years. Right. So yeah. I felt like it was a good time now to stay a bit in the same place and see, uh, you know, how it works out. And also for tennis, like I'm working with tennis now, and tennis in Malta is not really a viable thing. Right. And, and yeah, tennis in Spain, there's so much.
1: You know, half bed of stuff
0: going on. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you need to be... I think you need... To, I don't want to travel like every week. Obviously, I mean, you can't afford to be on a plane all the time just to go to tournaments and stuff. But in Spain, you have this, uh, this whole culture of tennis. So you can just drive to another city. You can play an ITF seniors, masters event. Now I'm going next week. There's Davis Cup finals. Half an hour drive from where I live. Yeah. So, so all this stuff centered around in Spain and you have Novak living there. Pretty cool place. Uh, a lot of tennis players, like you can be playing and you have like Mikhail Juszczyk practicing with someone on the court next to you. And That, that vibe is, is pretty cool, I must say.
1: Yeah, You got to find me a job out there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: uh, if we want to get to tennis, obviously you talk about winner ball, which is interesting, uh, but you also wrote another piece which we touched before uh, we started recording called Don't Brush Up the Ball, yeah, yeah. On Tennis Nerd. That you can read all Evans' pieces there, of course. And uh, under analysis, or you just search for his name. Uh, So like the brush up situation, um, that's what, like, we talked about the generational shift. Like you have older coaches and I see this, like you pointed out in this article, like the coaches that have been around, I mean, some of them are great. Like there are coaches that are older, that are absolutely fantastic at just developing their skills wanting to, you know, evolve as a coach. But then there are coaches that do the same thing they did in the 80s as they do now or 90s, whatever. Uh, While the sport has completely changed, right? The game is so different now from 20 years ago. Uh, And I think that was a good point you make. And and one of the things you you see is, is the brush up on the ball.
1: Yeah. And the brush up on the ball, like I wish I could show like a computer piece of it when your finish stays inside your shoulder. So for a righty, if your finish stays inside your left shoulder, you're going to be hitting almost like perpendicular to the ball. And what happens is I see kids like that or I see coaches who teach brush up finishes and I just watch, I pay attention. When I'm teaching, I pay attention to what's going on in other courts. I'm picking up balls. I listen. My ears are always on. My eyes are always open. Um, and so I see people talk, brush up, brush up. And I'm like, oh, you're playing a match against so-and-so? Just hit them high four-ends. That's it. Get it above the shoulder. And they get it above the shoulder, and they're like, yeah, the person couldn't put any balls in the court, and they end up poking it. They end up, like, hitting that, like, frying pan poke because they can't – they're just getting frustrated with that high topspin ball. So, I mean, the arc and the swing, I think a lot of guys touch on it. That's why I didn't – I don't want to get too much into it. Like, I just wanted to write that one piece, but it just kind of popped up because – who does it but felix felix does it on his strokes that's why he gets those shanks like so in the match that i watched it was probably i don't know if it was round two of uh of the super eight i call it um i swear it was double digits i don't want to say 18 backhands but there's a there's a chunk of backhands he missed that were brush up finishes and that's something you just can't get out of from the juniors because one of his coaches when he was young probably just kept hammered that trigger in there and it's still in there brush up brush up brush up and it's really not a brush up it's a brush around it's a brush out and a brush around so you want to be more like if you have a base you want to be 45 degrees on your finish you don't want to be you want to be off your like forehand is easy right you can whip your forehands and it's so easy to, to roll the wrist but the backhands are where it still kind of happens on half the players and they have to learn how to get the finish to the outside of the shoulder quicker not you know what i mean like not on the yeah. inside of the shoulder it's going to go around and uh and hey, you know, I lost a follower because it so he questioned me. He, he sent me an Instagram message like, Hey, what's uh you know, what's up with this brush up? And I'm like, Oops, he must have been one of those old school players who've been teaching brush up. Like, picture if you you've been teaching brush up, you're forty, you've been coaching brush up, brush up, brush up, and I come around, and I tell you, like, hey, that's wrong, and you've been doing it for twenty years, you're like, You're like, No, you're wrong. And all of a sudden you think about it and all of a sudden you're like, No, oh, I think Evan was right. And then you're gonna be pissed. You know, at first you're gonna be pissed at me then you're gonna be pissed at yourself for not seeing it and then you're gonna be like all right moving on you know like you're gonna be like, okay I have to change my style but that's what I try to do with some of that stuff with the brush up on the like I have a, a couple buddies who teach a few lessons here and there on the side and I'm like, like I hear him saying brush up and I'm like don't tell your kid that don't tell him that because you want to you don't even want to talk about that so on a side note when I work with my kid I think I wrote it in there but I I never told her to brush up on the ball. I told her to spin the ball, spin, spin, spin. That's the trigger I put in her brain, spin, spin, spin. And I said, faster, 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 spin, 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 faster, 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 get it in, get it in. Well, what happened is my daughter, she took basically two months off in September and October, played volleyball for her high school, played a handful of times and she's hitting the ball fine. Like she took two months off and it was like, she never took any time off because I never gave her the swing. She, I, she created her own swing. You know, and it's gone through a lot of development stages, but meaning like it went from a drop forehand. I try to teach her the C motion or at least some form of the C motion it never worked. And then I kept introducing it, and then finally it started clicking. And then some of the local pros would make fun of her and say her swing was too big or some of the I go to the tournaments and the parents. <laughs> the 2.5 parents are telling me what, what's wrong with my daughter's forehand. I'm like, oh, OK, thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And she had a, but she did have a big whip around on her backswing. And then all of a sudden it slowly started to create a smaller backswing on her own. And that's the thing I'd want to talk to a lot of coaches about is stop triggering these kids. Like you need to like, let them develop their own swing, but here's the trick. You know, you got some mother up in the window, some father up in the window, and you're just telling them to spin the ball and you're not telling them how to do it. Like, I can't tell you how many times, like I run into players and they're like, am I doing this right? I'm like, how long have you been playing tennis for? how long have you been training high performance? This is like your fifth year and you still ask me this question. I go, my eight-year-old doesn't ask that question. I tell my eight-year-old to spin the ball. She spins the ball. Like you have have to do, like you have to be like what I call a student of the game. You have to think about the swing. You can't require me to tell you all the time what to do. That's not really beneficial, but...
0: Yeah, some of the things I think, uh, sorry, you can figure out yourself. Like, I mean, it's like top spin is one of those things. Like when you manipulate a ball to spin a certain way if you just think about it i mean it's obviously not that easy to just ingrain into your swing because a lot of players is start with with a different type of technique than then it's the most efficient or they can't really get topspin because they they get their arm locked in or they are late or they have this a very very you know continental style grip where it's very tough to get any spin on the ball uh, but it's not a hard concept it's just like okay you have to hit hit the ball in a vertical plane and the more, the faster you swing, and the more vertical the movement, the more spin you add to the ball. That's that's about it. And then you have to try to get that to work for your game. Uh, and that's that's not easy, but that's at least you. The concept is is pretty basic, because it's a ball. Like, how many ways can a ball spin, and how, how do you spin the ball with the racket? You can just stay at home and just feel the ball on the racket, like see how do I manipulate this to get that kind of spin.
1: Yeah, and there's other stuff too. Like so my little one, I I put up a badminton net this year and I had her we play some badminton, a little windy, but um but I'm surprised she's getting some balls back and I'm flicking balls back and I'm like, Oh my god, there's my flick, my slice flick. Like for instance, you you run me in the corner. I mean I'll have to show I'll have to do some videos on it, but I have a flick in the in the corners that I just put it right back to your racket at the baseline. Like no matter where you hit it, I don't care how hard you hit it, I just flick the ball right back to you. But it's it's a creative shot and it's very tricky it's hard to teach like but also there's a couple shots i hit i wish i could send you a video right now but i'll, I'll probably have to do some videos starting soon um i don't even know how i do it like i just it literally looks like i'm underneath the ball scooping it and i'm just ripping the ball back to the guy and i'm like if you told me like hey you need to go underneath the ball and do this i'm like that doesn't make any sense at all but all of a sudden i do it <laughs> on a video, but that's the other thing too I I wanted to write about is uh or at least video about is YouTube is in slow mo YouTube is bad. Like in full motion it's it's okay. But when people see like oh Fetter's forehand is straight arm, I go, no it's not. I go it's a bent arm. But they're like, no no look, it shows it look at this picture. I go it's straight at every rack every form is straight at some point, but you have to you, <laughs> like picture if you threw a ball with a straight arm it ain't going anywhere. You know are not going anywhere. It's gotta bend at some point and then it's gonna release. I go, Federer is so relaxed. It looks all like you don't see the full extent of it, but his 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 form is not straight. It's it's definitely relaxed and bent and then it straightens out. But I mean I had one student that was like constantly like fighting it and just be like, Well, he'd always be watching better videos on the forehand and see the straight arm and I'm like, Yeah, that's wrong. I go, You want tennis help? Well keep doing that. But you know, you need a bent arm. But whatever. Yeah, then- do you
0: do you think it's like I mean, you do notice that I think the influence of the pro game in in like cuz tennis is is such a like a athletically difficult sport so and it puts a lot of strain on your body whether you, the movement like your knees your elbow your joints in general are put the huge you know duress during a a match or when you're playing a lot for example you play 5 6 times a week it, you're going to feel it in the body uh, but when you're watching the pros, the pros play a completely different sport than most rec club level players. Like, I mean, they put so much energy into the ball. They bend the strings. They move from side to side at insane speeds. They slide on hard courts, all that stuff. So there's, if you try to mimic... What like a guy like Federer uses? I mean, his technique is partly not the best to mimic. I would say. I mean, he has a very specific style of of hitting the ball like that. That's not that easy to copy. You know, it's kind of eastern grip, puts the racket down in a bit of a strange way, and and then whips a lot on the ball. And then he has super strong wrists and, and stuff like that. So copying a pro is mainly probably going to be detrimental to your game because it's like it's so difficult the way they swing, how fast they swing. How is that going to be reflected in you playing like 4.0 players, right? It's not so useful.
1: And, and and even when I start doing the videos and I start looking at myself, I'm like, you should. like, there's some stuff I, I just look at myself and I look, I look so lazy out there and I'm just like, but I've always looked lazy in like a lot of different forms, like whatever sport I play. But when I need to, I pick it up. All of a sudden you see a little quickness to my feet when I need to do something. And again, it comes back to what we talked about earlier about like who you are as a person. I'm always like sneaky sneaky in the sense that like i look like i'm lazy but all of a sudden like how that guy get to that ball i knew where it was going i kind of watched the ball i mean i don't watch the ball i watch the racket i watch your setup and i kind of know what your options are when you're going up there and i kind of have an idea what, where it's going to go and if you hey if you hit it 100 miles an hour so be it but if not um on a side note your knees bug you
0: not so much right now i mean i play on clay it's fine but like uh hard courts i mean i played playing the third day in a row it's been okay I mean it, it on and off for a little bit yeah when well, the tighter probably, I get the worse it gets usually
1: yeah I have a bad right knee so I see this knees over toe thing blah 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 guy's yeah yeah, yeah I've
0: seen his stuff yeah so yeah.
1: that's all right but so what I started doing and he probably says it in there and someone could you could easily t- told me this like two months ago and I and I say it today and you're like that's why I told you two months ago but if I start bending my my toes up on my right calf and it loosens up my calf my knee feels like a 100- hundred times better i'm like what the hell i go that's all it was was a calf stretch that i had to stick my toes i try to bend my toes back to my shin but not like with any this the thing that people need to worry about is like not with any kind of help i just do it free you know what i mean yeah like if you did it with any help it's gonna wreck your you're gonna rip your tendons but um but i started stretching that out and i'm like god i hope this is it i hope i can get my knee back because people ask me why i don't compete anymore it's because i'm like one move away from my knee just shredding like it's is just that bad stretching. yeah it's like it puffs up on the inside a lot so i probably need to get it drained but i don't i'm like i'm not a needle guy i'm not a surgery guy i'm just like it is what it is i'll just deal with it you know the, i just ignore the pain <laughs> i did like any kind of pain i get suffer like i just like whatever i go it's it makes me feel more alive by feeling the pain <laughs> <All> <laughs> yeah,
0: right. that's a way to look at it there's two approaches to that. Like my, my father is very old school. as my stepfather, but, but this very old school guy, he's like, ah, this will just heal on, on, on its own, blah, blah, blah. But then I've seen a huge shift in him now the last five years, I would say. And he's playing tennis five times a week. Maybe that's made the shift that he's playing so much, but he had always bad knees for working like industrial engineering. He was an engineer at a company. And, um, now he has replaced both of his knees because his knees was just like they were destroyed there were nothing left like the doctor said like these are the worst knees i've ever seen like he's a specialist knee doctor right yeah. um and in sweden you, you can the good thing about all the taxes you pay there is that uh, he got the surgery for free right so um these were two very expensive knee reconstructions he's got two like plastic kneecaps or whatever they are both both knees not at the same time obviously but they do one and then they went wait three months or whatever and then they could do another one and now he's he's walking like I've never seen him walk right it's just like magic yeah it's why, fantastic see.
1: I'm I'm trying to recreate my eating habits and everything and and do different things because I feel like your body like you were saying how it gets like stuck in its ways if you don't change anything so like this winter even though it's be cold outside up here in the north i want to just bundle up and i just want to go hiking at least once or twice a week so that's kind of makes it problematic for like doing instagram stuff or doing this but part of me is like well what am i doing like do i need to be on instagram every day i said i to be honest i say maybe one or two days a week i want to i don't want to be on it much more than that and then try to go on another YouTube, you know. try to get some videos up um, this winter. But even that, like I said, I think I'm going to do some live videos and that's going to be like where my ticket will be. Like yeah, where you where need I'll-
0: to try different stuff. And I think also like spending time away from social media is good. I mean, my work now, I need to be active, but I'm not on Instagram. I mean, I log in every day, but I don't post every day, for example. So it's like, and I, I avoid trying to avoid to scroll, like sit there and just mindlessly scroll through the feeds, which is just losing your time and your life is just fading away. Like most kids now, they just waste so much of their their time just scrolling a TikTok or Instagram and stuff. I'm trying to avoid it. It's not easy. It's worse than junk food. You know, it's it's quite bad. But I'm trying to avoid that. And like I think it's like for YouTube and stuff. You can, if you do a video a week, or at least you, you, you keep to a regular schedule. I think it's fine. You know, I, I try to do like videos four or five times a week, uh, which is quite intense. But it's just giving it's just like a challenge for me. You can definitely do once a week, and that gives you time to go away. Or so I, I think giving yourself time to think and and be away from the daily grind or media especially if you have a kid like it's good for the kids to get out of nature and see something else not healthy to be stuck to the screen i, I hate computers like i i work with them every day I, I hate them as well so it's weird
1: yeah me too i I just you know but even going down to charlotte's make man i really love charlotte that you know, was a nice area i wish i could go down there and just stay down there just weather wise and you know maybe in the summertime i wish like I have a little Native American in me, but I'm like, I don't know if there's a Native American calling out, but it's like, I'm like a nomad. Like I wish I could like, I told my kids, I'm like, best thing you could do is be like a college professor because then in the summer times you can go wherever you want. You don't have to work in the summer or you're a teacher in school. You can just disappear for two months and go wherever and just go. That's your visit time. That's your vacation time. Um, Because, yeah, th- this year, I'm not looking forward to this winter. It's already starting to get cold. Uh, I stopped hitting outside, but even on a couple of days, I, I joke. I, I thought I posted a joke one about like being outside. I was all bundled up, hat, two, two, three layers, and I'm like, "What am I doing out here? Like this is how you're
0: <laughs> Yeah, that sounds pretty, pretty rough, actually. I mean, it's it's. I I know from Sweden, like you, you, there's no chance you play outside in Sweden, and I just get very depressed in that weather. I can my my mind cannot manage dealing with just complete darkness for so much of the day for months you know it, it doesn't work like I, I just i'd rather do something i'd rather you know pick garbage off the street and be in the sun like i it's almost i mean it sounds like i'm, I'm making a joke but it's pretty bad for me I, I don't like it at all when it gets gets dark every day and it's like raining and it's ugh, yeah missing. i feel
1: bad for the people who work nine to five because they'll work during the light hours though and then they're leaving when it's getting dark and they have no time for free time to be i go that's yeah super depressing but um yeah it is what it is well, you know sometimes it is what it is sometimes you got to make things happen but i think uh what i was going to put that drill book together i'll i'll see that that one guy that did that drill book I, I wonder who he used as like a as a did he have somebody that he used for
0: well yeah he he always uses pro people like i mean i i guess he started early he's a very very nice guy business focused i think he's he's good at like just like i'm trying to do everything myself partly because i like it it's a little bit you know masochistic in a way but it's also because i i've done this like i i started working on websites when i was like 14 or whatever um but then in his case i think he uses like pro teams to do it but you can always do it at your level and and these days with all the tools like it's it's uh, you can always find ways to make stuff like it, when I grew up, you couldn't. I mean, same when you grew up, like you you couldn't just make something up from scratch and work with online or do stuff. Now you have all this freedom to actually create products, create, and you don't need like a lot of capital or or super skills. You can learn stuff on YouTube and buy some apps.
1: Yeah, I think that's what I'll end up doing this winter. That would be one of my goals to get that drill book out by who knows, maybe February. I don't know. I, don't yep. know I wrote a lot about it in the summertime on the side and then now we want to put into like real form because part of me was like I don't like again I don't know what I want to do like I like but at the same time like you know what as far as tennis go want to write this drill book and just there you go go do it go do whatever drill you feel like you want to pull out of there go do it but the part of me is always gravitate towards fiction or like those rude pieces I wrote like those are fun and then when but you know when people don't understand what I'm writing about it's like all right well whatever you know, but, but I had a lot of fun writing those pieces. Whenever I write those fictional pieces, I get really, I'm going to say excited is not the word. I'm not I don't get excited, but it takes a lot. It takes the energy and it. it's like I feel like more alive when I write fiction. That's why I even like when I give you those tennis pieces, when I write a fiction form, they're much more fun. Analysis is kind of boring to a certain degree. Um, that's why I think instead of writing an analysis piece, I'll do a few, but I'd rather just do online and just do live. I
0: think that's the best way maybe to, to just like, get some clips and and then analyze like what's going on. You can stop. Hey, okay, look at this. He's swinging now. This is a typical blah, blah, blah. I think this is the best way for people to learn. People read less these days. I'm also a big fan of writing and reading things that are from a different point of view or just well put together in, in writing. But that's not everyone. And everyone has, you know, limited time. So they come home, they put the kids to bed, they come home from work, put the kids to bed. And uh, then they have maybe like half an hour to watch some shit on YouTube and they want to get all the information in a very well packaged, quick, easy, digestible thing. Not everyone can can get that all the time, but that's, that's what you're up against. Like you're up against 1 billion distractions where people go like, oh, I can do this. I can watch this. There's so much choice. So yeah.
1: I got some Instagram messages from guys who now, like they're in my phone, I can't them every now and then, but they're saying how they're just expecting, like you and I, first podcast, just expecting to watch like five, ten minutes. Next thing they watch the whole thing. <laughs> that's like good that.
0: though. I mean, that's that makes me happy. I, I think I'm generally a guy that likes to um, to just talk to people and listen to people and give them time. Like, I mean, it doesn't always have to be about one particular topic. That's why I like the podcast format a bit better because it it can flow a little bit more freely. My goal is really to find something that i find interesting that people are willing to pay for right whether it's companies people whatever right so that i can make enough money to sustain a living like i don't need to be jeff bezos or or elon musk sustain a decent living while doing stuff you enjoy so you don't feel like you're grinding like i i don't like the the grind i've done that for many years being in offices and going to meetings and-
1: i got to cut loose i I got to go pick up my kids. Yeah. Nice I talking
0: go. to you, man. Uh, it, was, uh, it was good yeah. to get a more personal uh, chat. We keep in touch.
1: Okay. All right.
0: Enjoy Bye. your day, man. Nice See seeing ya. you. All right. Bye. Ciao.